0: Good evening, folks. Good to be here with you tonight.
1: Tonight, I want to talk about reality and illusion, which is a very core theme
0: of Buddhism that we don't don't address
1: uh, directly so often. And this came to mind for me for a, a few reasons the other night i watched a sci-fi movie that was all about basic the classic dream within a dream you wake up into a dream and you go to sleep into a dream and which one's the dream and which one is real kind of archetypal theme and also i was reflecting on how much virtual interaction i have and the depth of connection I experience with that and the sense of building relationships and friendships. And at the same time, I'm largely relating to pixels on a screen and sound waves coming through a speaker. And wow, okay, that itself is pretty amazing. But at the same time, in Zen tradition, we ask the question well, actually, what's the difference between that and what's always going on?
0: What's the difference between that and what's always
1: going on? In a sense, the purpose of Zen practice is to really disrupt your life.
0: It's supposed to really shake up
1: your reality and what you think you are and what the world is. I like to emphasize over and over that being calm is only a small part of what this is but the calm is, uh, makes it possible to look beyond the surface. So in Mahayana Buddhism and Zen, we ask
0: the question, what is real?
1: What is real? And we use all our faculties of attention and intellect, to really look into that question, not in a metaphysical sense, but what is real now? This
0: very uh, life I'm living, what is its reality? Is it real?
1: And specifically, we question the ways that we don't relate to it as real. That's the entryway. We are interested in what ways we project onto people and experiences, what ways we imagine that things are other than they are, but are actually in relationship to that imagination rather than the phenomena themselves. We're interested in the way we perceive things
0: to be and how they might actually be apart from that perception. Now, at some
1: point in history, postmodernists said, there's no way to know what's outside of your own experience. There's actually no such thing. Everything is interpretive. Everything is contextual. Dharma is getting even more more fundamental than that. The phrase that is classic is the
0: dreamlike nature of reality. Dreamlike
1: nature of reality. And this is synonymous with the realization of emptiness. So, for those of you who chanted the Heart Sutra, which is chanted every day in Zen temples because it represents the uh, core realization and the core aspiration to realize what Avalokiteshvara realized in the Heart Sutra that everything is spacious, empty is the word they used. Reality is fully interactive. It doesn't exist from its own side. So that stuff is kind of dry to say it like that. You know, it, it doesn't sound, it's not, it's a little bit too technical. So in the Zen and in Tibetan Buddhism, that evolved to be called the dreamlike nature of reality. So it's interesting to reflect that that is the
0: path that you are on. And I don't know if
1: you signed up for that. And maybe whether we want to be on that path or not will become evident to us at some point. But that's the point of what we're doing, is to realize the dreamlike nature of reality. Now, first thing I want to say is that this is not a statement that life is a dream. It's
0: dreamlike. Well, how, how is it dreamlike?
1: How is it dreamlike? What's going on for us when we reflect on an experience and we go, man, that was unreal? This is unreal what's happening with
0: COVID. It's unreal that I'm talking to these
1: boxes all over the world. Something is disrupted when we say that. There's some reason we're saying that. Why do we say that? Part of the whole crux of dreamlike nature of reality is that we relate to uh, concepts, linguistic constructs, more than we relate to the actual texture of life. is that interesting? We're in more relationship to linguistic constructs and images in our mind than we are to sensate textures, than we are to the actual way things abide. And maybe even more so as uh, modern North Americans because we are so disembodied habitually. So anyways, even talking about the uh, dreamlike nature of reality or sometimes called the illusion-like nature of reality, those very words are a challenge or a problem. There was a, a teaching in response to that called the eight metaphors of illusion or eight metaphors of dreamlike reality. That This teaching came from uh, India. So some of these are a little bit more culturally specific, and they're metaphors. They're just, they're just pointing to an experience that we could say we are already having,
0: but we could, we could know that we're having it. So the first metaphor is dream. How is waking life the same as a dream? Besides so-called object permanence, what is actually the difference? There's a sense
1: of continuity in our waking lives, continuity to cause and effect. We seem to be the same person, more or less.
0: What is really the difference?
1: With this metaphor, one thing we could say is that a dream doesn't exist outside of one's interior. It's it's as real as can be when we're asleep, unless we happen to be lucid. It's a full, sensate experience. The whole sensorium is present. And when we're asleep, we have no idea that we are. So it exists entirely inside our interior, our body-mind. And we wake up, and it's gone. There's only these faint traces of it. This, as a metaphor of dreamlike nature of reality, is saying all of our experience only is fielded within the body-mind.
0: Nobody else has the experience you have because it's fielded within your body-mind. And yet you look, you can't find that field. There's no place that it's happening. So, dream.
1: The next is a magic illusion. Apparently, there were sorcerers in India that were kind of just on the corner, like, you know, conjuring uh, apparitions and things like that. I don't know. This is, you know, I don't think they're talking about David Copperfield when they say magic illusion. So, like a magic illusion. And this one means when we look closely at experience, what it is, is it's a joining of causes and conditions meeting temporarily. There's all these different elements that happen to be present right now for you to say I'm in my room on Zoom hearing Jogan talk, but even one factor disappearing and the whole thing collapses. It's just a confluence of causes and conditions. The most prime condition being the fact of consciousness.
0: It's like the main ingredient. But for example, this would be a a totally different experience if... A totally different experience if um, you were... Let's say you were sick and your mind was really fuzzy. Completely different experience. So you could think of all the ways in which it's almost like a house of cards in that it's both fragile and every piece is essential. Consciousness, the sense organ and the objects of consciousness coming together. The next
1: metaphor of illusion was called hallucination. And most of us have some experience of either being on a, on a psychedelic or maybe we're really sick and we have a hallucination. I have an example from my life that was really powerful. My um, high school sweetheart, my first love, had uh, moved away and I was you know terribly, terribly heartbroken and could not... I was just seized by longing to be reunited with her. She moved, she went back to her home country. And I was so, had so much desire to see her again that one day I was at work and I saw a woman about her height come down the stairs into the place that I worked. And I was actually completely sure it was her. And I jumped out of the station I was working at and ran over to talk to her, called out her name. My longing had actually shifted her appearance so much that I was positive I had seen
0: her. So hallucination
1: is pointing at there is a great degree to which the mind can shape what we are seeing based on, based on desire and based on past experience. Related to that is the next metaphor for illusion is mirage. I used to see mirages all the time because i lived I lived in uh, Nevada. quite quite beautiful i don't I don't think we see mirages too often. maybe Eastern Oregon. It's dry enough to see mirage. What I take from mirage being one of the metaphors for illusion like reality is that we think things are a certain way from a distance, but then when we get up close and we actually attend to them, they kind of slip through our fingers. They're not quite there in the way we thought they were. You're so thirsty and we get close and we see the difference between our mind's projection and the
0: actuality. And so many
1: so many experiences are like this. One direct thing to verify in your meditation is what happens when you look really closely at thoughts and body sensations and you attend really
0: carefully to them. They're not what they appear
1: to the mind that is uh, distant. So many examples of this, this mirage metaphor I think we can um, relate to. The next metaphor is like an echo. The dreamlike nature of reality, reality is like an echo. Now we can read that neuroscientists say that sensory stimuli happens and that by the time it's processed we're like something like a few milliseconds after the actual event, we cognize it. The brain forms a a sensory object. And experience register. So perception has a log time, excuse me, a lag time. You can actually start to catch this in in your meditation. So what that means is strictly speaking, the present moment is always gone.
0: There is no present moment. It's always gone.
1: As soon as you try to put your finger on the present moment, it's no longer the present moment it's utterly un- ungraspable so in a sense we're always when we relate to something we we let's say we're in reaction that thing we're in reaction to is no longer there in the way it was because nothing abides
0: like an echo
1: i was talking earlier about the ghosts of the mind that's a more gross form of how we do this we are carrying around these ghosts, these images of people and places and activities, and we're relating to them, but they're actually just echoes of reality because truly they're not there anymore. We can get so wrapped up in something that happened and forget that it's actually a memory that I'm relating to now. I'm arguing with a a
0: memory, it's wild.
1: The next metaphor is like a city of Gandharvas. And these were some mythical beings. And apparently, people would just see these beings that would just magically appear, and there would be these whole cities that would be, you know, come out of nowhere, and then they they would disappear. And I think this one is just about projection and how much we can attribute to something. And it not actually being there related to
0: mirage. The next one is uh, like a reflection.
1: And you've, you've heard me, if you've been around for a little while, talk about mirror like nature of awareness. And what this is saying reality is like a reflection, is
0: that things appear.
1: but they are appearances in awareness. They never have a reality outside the awareness within which they appear.
0: Just like an image enters a mirror,
1: and that image in the mirror is just an image in the mirror. There may be something behind the mirror that's being reflected, but as the mirror, in the context of the mirror, it's just an image.
0: And then related, and lastly, um, an apparition, an apparition. We can say
1: that reality is a moment, that life does not contain things. Life does not actually contain solid things because life is a series of moments of experience even if you say well that's that's bs cuz i'll go out you know my car it's out there you go out and look at your car and what you're having is moments of experiencing your car every moment of that experience is different it's a fresh moment we can never get our hands on anything outside of a moment of experience and so they say it's like an apparition it's an appearance
0: doesn't go beyond being an appearance.
1: I like the classic phrase of Zen that describes the, the path of awakening. Actually, just in three, in three stages. You probably have heard this. It said, in the beginning, mountains were mountains and rivers were rivers. The things of the world... They were not, they were not, you couldn't argue with me about there being things in the world out there. There is an objective reality. No, things are not like a dream. They're just the way they are. Starving people are starving people.
0: So mountains were mountains
1: and rivers were rivers. And then the second stage of practice is mountains were not, are not mountains and rivers are not rivers. that our our vision starts to uh, penetrate beyond the, the habitual way of relating to the world. Mountain is no longer a mountain, a river is no longer a river, or a cup is no longer a cup, computer screen is no longer a computer screen.
0: What is it then?
1: And then the saying goes, after that, finally, Mountains were again mountains and rivers were again rivers.
0: So we don't dwell in things
1: being non-existent, but we're informed by having the experience of the dreamlike nature of reality. It raises a question, why would you want to view life like this? Why would you want to have the the sense of substance or or fixed reality drop out of your life?
0: Who would would ask for that? What if you're already experiencing that anyway? What if we've always been in the illusion-like nature of reality from the beginning? Is there a a consequence to investing reality with more substance than is there? The theory, and maybe the experience that you've
1: had, is that we are less likely to cling. We're less likely to make um, friction. We, We have more fluidity in our lives. We basically suffer less
0: when we experience life as dreamlike? Should we take life seriously?
1: I think it's a very good question. People um, critique teachings like this because they say they encourage disinvestment in the world.
0: If life is um, illusion-like, then why should I bother? Why should I bother investing myself in it? Should we take the self seriously or not? One of the
1: first instructions in training in the Lojong teachings of Tibetan Buddhism is be a child of illusion. Be a child of illusion. Start to orient yourself to experiencing life in this way. There's something to be said for, we tend not to see something until it's pointed out to us. When something is pointed out, or when we want to see it, then we begin to see it. And I don't mean we we dream it up. But it's always been that way, but when there's a pointer and we're interested in that pointer, we start to notice it. It comes online as an experience. A child of illusion. It has a quality of, of maybe having a more playful attitude towards life. Holding things more lightly. Would we disinvest? in our relationships, our projects, our societies, if we we had this kind of uh, vision.
0: When we see images
1: and hear sounds from a screen and a speaker, all manner of reactions and emotions are evoked.
0: We've probably all had the experience
1: of being so engrossed in a movie that we forgot it's a movie and we were fully connected to those characters.
0: Maybe it doesn't matter if things are real or not, they're as real as your heart's response. So in
1: our culture right now, so much of what we are in response to is, is images? Is snippets, sound bites spun one way or another? How much uh, emotion, how much of what we're organizing around, is images on a screen that are now images in our
0: consciousness? So what is real?
1: Do we need to be in relationship with reality? Or the question put personally is, do you want to be in relationship with reality?
0: How would we know if we are? How do we know? Is this a work of exposing projections a world we are called to?
1: Or is it that there's a human need to be in raw and direct relationship to life? Is there something in us that longs for a kind of sobriety?
0: So another level of dreamlike nature of reality is these teachings that things are perfect as they are. Things are perfect as they are. How does that land for you? Your life is perfect as it is. The teaching is that when we can still the discriminating mind,
1: that is uh, assessing and comparing experience, when we let go of that to the point that we're no longer referencing what we're experiencing to a belief we have, then the universe is experienced as a divine expression, an expression of perfection,
0: whatever the shape, whatever the way it is arrayed, it's, it's an expression of, of perfection. We get more in touch with the light of awareness, the medium of the dream. What is the medium of the dream? We're invited into the experience of perfection and brokenness as simultaneous. into The spacious nature of ourselves. So how do we open this kind of, of awareness up? So in, in
1: Zazen, it's important to want to see this dreamlike nature of your own reality, of your body, mind and environment. We have to be interested in that. and When we're interested in that, it will come more awake. And sometimes we say see impermanence. Another way to orient to this is to notice
0: the disappearing of moments. To familiarize ourselves with the quality of, of momentariness of our experience.
1: The Teachers of old would talk about each moment we are born and we die. Each moment we arise and disappear totally.
0: Another aspect of opening
1: up this kind of awareness is to start to see more the interactiveness of mind and manifestation. See the synchronicities in your life. One common place we can see this is is we think of somebody and they call. The ways in which what happens and what's going on in our mind are connected in ways that are not necessarily linear.
0: So, in practice, in opening up to the dreamlike nature of reality, we change the way we see. We change the way we see ourselves Our own
1: sense of uh, personality and our own sense of who I am, we can still we still play that role, and at the same time, it's like a fictional character that we appreciate. We take ourselves less seriously. It doesn't go away. We see it as like a dream. It doesn't go away. It just becomes
0: more. We know we are on a stage, so to speak. I want to open up and see if there's any reflections or comments on this. This is, this is the kind of teachings that, that are, are challenging. They're challenging and they, they ask to be, to be um, uh, clarified sometimes. So I'm interested if anybody has anything to say.